Good morning, everyone. Morning. Nice to see you all here. Sorry for the delay, having a few issues. Um, welcome. I hope that you found your spot under a heater, nice and cosy. Um, just a few notices before we begin. You may um, remember or have had an email. If you are a church member, there is a meeting tomorrow evening, 7.30, in the coffee lounge. Please come if you can. Um, we will be voting on our leadership, as we do every year at the annual church meeting. So if you're able to come, um, it'd be really important. If you have any nominations for people for the leadership, please give them to me today, otherwise it's too late. Also, just to let you know that um, I missed out on the new sheet house group this week, but it is happening Wednesday, 8 o'clock, and it will be at David and Paula's, who will just have got back from America, so they can tell us all about it, as well as, you know, all the other things. So house group, David and Paula's, this Wednesday, 8 o'clock, do come if you can. It's for everyone, so if you haven't been before and you just fancy coming, then do come along. Um, we will continue our study in the book of Acts. Right. Tegan is here today, and I'd like to invite Tegan to come up, because something very special happened last week. Tegan went away and came back with something which she's going to show us in a minute. Yes, she's coming. Oh, wow. Right, Tegan, where did you go go last week? Um, To Great Yarmouth. What did you do in Great Yarmouth? Do my skating competition. You did your skating competition, and you're bringing something out of the bag, which makes me think that you did very well. I came third place in three, and I came last in diggers. Oh, great! <laughs> um, this is your medal for third place, is it? Yeah, and... Uh, skate, third place, a bronze medal. Wonderful. <laughs> and what else have you got in there? Um, I've got my photos. Oh, lots of photos. Reading. Oh, on my the podium three. and everything. Do you think you can put them out after for everyone to have a look at? Yeah. Wonderful. That's me. And it says where I came in um, pre-skating. It's got your name third. (laughs) Excellent. And how did you feel when you got third place? Um, (laughs) Excited. And how did your mum and dad feel? Nervous and worried for me. Um, I bet they were cheering though, weren't they? Yeah. Wonderful. Are you going to wear this today? Yeah. Oh, look at that. Me doing my programme. Can I show that to everyone? Yeah. Can I have a look at that afterwards? I'm sure. If you can't see, there, Rachel, you're right. She's got. (laughs) Oh, and with your medal on? Yeah. Excellent. Well, I think Tegan deserves a big round of applause for that. (laughs) Wonderful. Shall I put this on? I've always wanted to do this. (laughs) Wonderful. What a great thing to do. Well done, Tegan. Very exciting. I did actually see a little clip on uh, 
Facebook of you doing your skating. It's very impressive. Well, it's, it's very exciting, isn't it? There's lots of things which we do which make us excited and happy, things that we enjoy. But also there's other things that we don't always achieve and therefore we, we're not so happy. Life is a bit of up and down. And some people think that Jesus has come to make us happy so that life will be good. And if we follow him, it will be great. But you know, he never ever promises that. Jesus doesn't say, if you follow me, I'll make you happy and life will be wonderful. In fact, he says the opposite quite a lot of times. Life will be harder and it will be difficult and things will be tricky. But he does say that he will offer us life to the full. In the Bible it says this, All you people who are thirsty, come. Here is water for you to drink. Don't worry if you have no money. Come eat and drink until you are full. You don't need money. Why waste your money on things that are not real food? Why should you work for something that does not really satisfy you? Listen closely to me, says God, and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the food that satisfies your soul. Jesus doesn't offer us happiness and a wonderful life that's never got any problems, but he does say that if we come to him, that whatever happens, he will satisfy our souls deep inside us. He will satisfy our souls. And as we come and gather around the communion table this morning, Jesus offers us that satisfaction in our souls today as we come to eat and drink and we will do that in a moment but first let's stand together and sing our first song as we approach the communion table this morning let's stand sometime later jesus went up to jerusalem for a feast of the jews now there is in jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in aramaic is called bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Thank you, Rob. If you want to um, look that up, it's John 5, verses 1 to 9. Don't feel I've been here for quite a while. Strange, but it's good to be back. Um, I saw on the news this week Hillary Clinton. I don't know whether you saw her. For the first time since she lost the presidential election, she appeared, she was at some fundraising event, I think, and she was the speaker. And I looked at her and I thought, you shouldn't think this is people, but I thought, you look awful. She looked drawn, 
and tired. She'd probably got the best makeup artist in the world, but nothing could disguise that she'd lost something. And she said at one part of the speech, there are many times in the last few weeks when I have wanted to curl up with a good book and never leave home again. And I looked at her and I thought, yes, I can see that. And it made me realise the true toll that the election had taken on her. Because whatever you think of Hillary Clinton, for years, probably from the moment she entered politics, I'm not sure, but certainly for the past 10 years, she's been dreaming of becoming President of the United States. This has been her aim. And it's not ridiculous to assume that two weeks ago she thought, as did many other people, that she was about to fulfil that dream and become the first female president that America has ever had. It was a position that was in, within touching distance for her. The polls, as we all know, had given her the job, and many of us wish the voters had done the same. Before Election Day, Hillary Clinton was the president-elect in all but name. There was a hope that she could actually fulfil the dream which she had had. And then suddenly, that which was within touching distance, that which she had been hoping for for so long, that which she thought she had worked hard enough to get, was taken away from her. And all at once, she became the name of the opponent who lost out to the eventual winner in 2016. She became a footnote in history. And so when she appeared in public for the first time following this defeat, she looked crushed. She looked broken. She looked as if all the life that she'd had all these past few months had been taken out of her and dumped somewhere else. Because that which had been so close, within touching distance for her, had gone. That which she dreamed of was now far, far away. In fact, it was so far away she was never, ever going to reach it again. And you know, when I picked up the Bible the next day, and I read the passage which we're looking at today, the story of the paralysed man sitting by the pool at Bethesda, This image of Hillary Clinton standing by the microphone for the first time since her defeat came back to me. Because, you see, here is a story of a desperate man. He's nothing like Hillary Clinton in many ways. He's paralysed. And in society, that would, of his day, that would have meant he was isolated. He's helpless. He's stranded. He's ostracised. He's desperate. He is a man who is right at the bottom of the heap of his society of the day. And yet he's also a man who has spent his days lying by the pool at Bethesda. Or if you like, he's also a man who is very much like Hillary Clinton because every day he found himself within touching distance of that which he so desperately wanted. And the reason being was that the pool at Bethesda was not just any pool, it was a well-known pool among both Jews and Gentiles as a place of healing. Now, whether this was actually true or simply a myth that had taken root, we're not really sure. But the story goes that people in need would gather around this pool because they believed that something special was there. Every now and again, you see, this pool would bubble up. Things would start to happen. And people thought that this was because an angel came and stirred the pool. And so when the angel stirred the pool, it bubbled 
And the belief was that the first person to enter the pool, once the pool had bubbled up, would be healed. And so you can imagine, many people gathered around that pool every day. The blind, the lame, the paralysed, that's what it says in the passage. They sat around the pool day after day after day, so that they could be within touching distance of that which they desperately wanted and desired. And some of them made it. Some of them were the first ones down into the pool after it had bubbled up. And maybe some of them are healed, were healed. But the paralysed man in our story was not. He had been waiting for 38 years. He had been close to his dream for 38 long years. And every time the water bubbled, every time the opportunity came to grasp what he dreamed of, that which was in touching distance, that which he'd hoped for for so long, that which he thought he deserved, was taken away from him by someone else who made it to the water first to get their healing. And so as I read this story the day after I saw Hillary Clinton on the news, I could imagine that just like her, this man must have looked awful. He must have looked totally crushed. He must have looked broken. He must have looked like all the life had been taken out of him as he sat by that pool. And not only that, he must have been physically, emotionally, spiritually wrecked. Possibly worse than any of the other people who were sitting around that pool every day. Because time and time and time again, for 38 long years, that which was just right there, that which he dreamed of, was taken away from him. Soon to be out of reach for good. And so when Jesus arrived at this pool that is surrounded by people in differing states of desperate need... And he sees this man, this paralysed man, this crushed and broken man, this smelly ruin of a human being who sat there every day. The one who'd been sitting by the pool for so long that he'd become part of the landscape. Instead of ignoring him like everyone else must have done, Jesus goes up to him. He goes up to this man, to him, out of all these people. And he says do you want to get well? And the man, probably thinking that Jesus was going to offer to help him down to the pool, starts to explain why he can't ever get there, you know, how he wants to be healed, but the journey to the pool is too far, even though it's so close. And he starts to explain to Jesus why he's so fixated by this place, this pool which he's pinned his hopes on for so long. Until Jesus suddenly says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And the man suddenly realises that that which he'd been staring at for the past 38 years, that which had been within touching distance, could actually offer him nothing. It was never going to make his life better. So right there and then, he turns to Jesus. And for the first time in his life, he receives the thing that he's so desperately been searching for. He picks up his mat and he walks. He walks away into a new life. You know, a few years ago, well, I say a few years ago, it's actually in the 1990s, which I think was just like the other day. But no, it seems it was quite a long time ago now. Simon and I were living in London and we got invited to be um, like sort of ushers at an opening night at... Tommy, the musical, I don't know whether anyone's ever seen the musical Tommy, but it was opening at Shaftesbury Theatre, I think, and we were 
it was a charity night, and so we were working for a charity so we could be ushers and hand out programmes and show people to their seats. And the Prince and Princess Michael of Kent were going to be there. So we were like, well, this is exciting. Let's, you know, why not? So we went along and we got to see their production, which was brilliant, and we got to show people to their seats. And then at the end, our friend who was organising it, she said, oh, you're going to get a chance to meet the Prince and Princess Michael of Kent. And we thought, oh, brilliant bonus royalty and she said all you have to do is stand by this little stage door because they're going to see the people in the production and they'll come out the door and just shake their hand as they walk by and you know you'll just get to meet them so we all gathered by this door and we're very excited you know and you turn into little children don't you you start to go oh oh should we bow should we curtsy how do we do the handshake and you're all having a bit of a laugh and we were a bit nervous you know a bit sweaty getting ready, kind of sweaty palms when you shake hands with royalty, can you? I mean, what do you do? And we're all talking and chatting away, it's getting a bit late, and we're thinking, oh, they're taking a long time. And then suddenly we heard a kerfuffle behind us, and we turned around, and there was Prince and Princess Michael of Kent. They'd come out another door, and they were shaking hands with other people, and then they left, and we all stood there, never to meet them. And we realised, you know, that although we'd been looking and waiting, as we'd been told to do, we'd been looking in the wrong direction. We'd been looking at this door when actually they were going out that door. And however long we waited, we were never going to meet them. We were never going to shake hands with them. And, you know, here in the book of John, this paralysed man had been doing the same thing, if you like. For 38 long years... He had been looking and waiting and desperately hoping for healing, for something that would make his life better. But he'd been looking in the wrong direction, at the wrong thing, at a pool that offered nothing more than a dream, a dream that time and time again was taken away from him. And then Jesus came, and Jesus saw him, And in seeing him, he went up to this man and he transformed his life, just like that. Sure, there would be hard times for the man. He had to enter society and he had to live. But his life was transformed. It's an amazing story and it often gets lost because following this story, Jesus then has an argument with the Jewish leaders and people focus a lot on that. But there's this amazing healing that takes place first. A healing that brings hope and transformation in the middle of an environment of people who had no hope and were really desperate for something. So I was telling house group the other night that I went to the hairdressers the other week. And my hairdresser, she used to be in a fairly sort of old-fashioned shop, so I felt okay going because, you know, I'm in my 40s and I'm not, I'm not a hair model. Anyway, but she moved to this really trendy place in Cambridge and I sort of followed her. But now I feel a little bit out of place. All the people who work there are like 19 or 20. And when I go there, they talk about really interesting things that actually my life never sees. This time, we were talking about Botox. I know nothing about Botox. Does anyone here? No? Do you see? fascinating and so she told me all about Botox how many injections you had to make your face better and and you know the side effects that could happen and how you had to drink lots of water and you know how you could get bulldog head if you had some put in the wrong place I wasn't really sure what that was but it sounded very fascinating and then she said to me you know one of the friends that 
I cut his hair, he always goes, why do you girls talk about changing your bodies? Why do you do all this injecting and stuff? And she said to me, and I said, why not? If you want to change something, change it. If you don't like something, make it different. And I was like, well, I suppose that's one way. She said, for instance, I've got a friend. And she's changed her face and she's changed her nose. She's changed her hair. And then they all started talking about this girl. And they went, oh, yeah, she's changed her home. She's changed her car. And then she changed her job. And she's changed her boyfriend. And then one of them went, oh, maybe she's not happy. (laughs) And I thought, no kidding. Maybe she's not happy. But then afterwards, when I went home, I thought, maybe she's not happy. But clearly, she doesn't know what to do about it. She doesn't know where to find something to satisfy her. She doesn't know where to look. And then I thought, you know, there are so many people who don't know where to look. All sorts of people. Some are relatively hidden, you know, they're people who are respected in society. They seem to have everything. They're successful and happy and they have great jobs. And then there's others, others like the man in this story in the book of John. Those people who are right on the outskirts of society, those people who have nothing, those people who are seen as failures, those people who are desperate and ignored, people who are within touching distance of the thing which everyone says will make them happy, only to find that time and time and time again it is snatched from their grasp and hope escapes them. I think, to my shame, of the refugees who are thrown from one place to another, of the children who are out on their own at the moment because they've been separated from parents, and no-one cares. I think of those who are trapped by drugs and alcohol and can't get out of the cycle and are stuck in a terrible life. I think of those who have lost their homes because they became ill and they lost their job and therefore they lost their family and then they lost their home and now they're on the street. I think of those who are bereaved and suffering and they don't know where to turn. They've got no one to show them that there is hope. And then I think of those who amid the wealth and stability of life are so desperately lonely but no one knows because their life looks okay. I think of all the documentaries that I watch, which is quite a lot, about the lives of people who no one sees. And I read this story in the book of John and I'm reminded that Jesus sees them. That even when everyone else walks by or turns away or doesn't even notice, our God does notice. He notices these people just like he noticed me and reached out to me. And what's more, he now challenges me to notice as well. He challenges us to see. Because in a world that's constantly looking in the opposite direction, at the illusions which are just out of reach, all the dreams that people think will make them happy, that keep getting snatched away, we are called to be people who through love and care and kindness show that God is real. And that in the midst of our and their seemingly hopeless situations, It's not that which is just out of reach that can solve their problems. It's not the lottery money or the job or that house. It's not the things that are just there but can't be reached. It's Jesus who every day enters into the mess of life 
and brings real hope and real transformation. And we are called to see and to act, not because we have all the answers, but because this is where Jesus would be. And so we, when we reach out in our inadequacy to others, it is here that we find him in their lives, in their mess, in their problems. Not primarily in gathering together in this big brick building where we worship once a week, but in the broken, struggling, desperate lives of those we walk with every day. And I'm including us in many ways. This is where we see Jesus when we reach out to others, when we see them and we offer hope. This is where we see the transformation which God brings and this is where it touches our lives as well. So may God walk with us as we go from here. May he bless us and keep us and may we really live as children of God reaching out to those who so desperately need his love. Amen.